Hey, we're Living Water CC, and you're listening to Share Hope Podcast, where we love God, we love people, and we share hope. Last Sunday, we started a new series called Seven, Seven. It's not seven ways to fix your life or anything like that. We're talking about the seven last words Jesus said on the cross. Um, why do we do this? Why do we do this every Easter? Why do we talk about this? And it's funny because we do this almost every year, and we still don't memorize every seven word that he says. I, I fall short of the glory too, all right? And I forget that's why we do this, okay? To remind you, not only to remind you, but because these are Jesus' last moments in his, in his ministry of three years. And so, in this case, we don't see Jesus preaching to anybody. We don't see Jesus teaching the multitudes. We don't see Jesus doing miracles. We don't see Jesus, you know, uh, we, don't, we don't even see the disciples. Only one disciple of all of the 12 disciples, only one disciple is at the crucifixion. All the other ones, Peter, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew. Yes, there's a guy named Bartholomew. He wasn't there. They all dipped. They all left. They didn't want to be there. Only John. With that said, the last seven things of Jesus on the cross, it's not between anybody else. You know, it's not between the multitudes of people. This is him alone, literally alone. These are the most realest moments of Jesus' life. This is where we really see the Jesus that we believe in. These are the last seven words. So last Sunday we started with, Father, forgive them, for they not know what they do. Right? The first word. And today we're going to start with the second word. I'm going to preach on the second word. Does anybody know what the second word is? No. Nobody knows. It's, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. I'm pretty sure, I I don't even know where to put this paper. That's how I don't, I don't know what to do with paper. I'm pretty sure you know this story. I'm pretty sure you know about the two criminals be- on the sides of Jesus, and he's between the two criminals on the cross. You know, we've seen the Passion, right? We've seen the Passion. We've seen all the Jesus movies, the British Jesus, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to believe. We already know. We already know that Jesus is implying in this story that the criminal is going to go to heaven, Amen. Hallelujah. But like many other portions of scripture, we eat the meat and ignore the flavor. We want to see, I want you to see the substance of this story, the true meaning of this scripture, not just pass over it. Because it shows the first, one of the first salvations on earth. One of the first people to be saved. Right? Maybe you were asking that question. Who was the first person saved? Well, here we go. Let me tell you. Before we dive in, though, we see the cross, right? All right. I want to explain what the cross was really meant for in the Roman times. You know, we see the cross. Now, the cross means Christianity, you know? Oh, I'm Christian because I have a cross. Amen. Hey, that's cool. You know? But at the time, the cross was not a death penalty, okay? Let me... Let me let you know that the cross was not meant to be a death penalty. It's not, um, 
necessarily a punishment. And Jesus was not the first person to be crucified, okay? <laughs> Hundreds of people were crucified before and even after Jesus was crucified. Now, I know that we have the presumption that it was a death penalty, but that's not completely true. First, the crucifixion was done next to a roadside. So, like, you know how there's a road and then there's sidewalk? Well, there was no sidewalk at the time. But there was the road, and then on the side were crosses of people hanging. Okay? So, travelers would see the cross when they passed by, when they were going to enter into the city. And before they entered the city, they would see these people on the cross. So, how many of you like to do road trips? Oh, good. Nobody. That's, I don't like to do road trips either. <laughs> I, like, I prefer flying. I'm not a driver, you know. Um, when you drive, you see a lot of billboards, right? You see all the advertisements. You see all the things that it says. And, you know, you've probably seen those, like, um, uh, they show a picture of a car crash, and they say, don't text and drive, right? Or they see a... The, the image of healthy lungs and then the image of unhealthy lungs. And it says, don't smoke or this will happen to you. Right? That's exactly what the cross is for. The cross was to show people who come into the city. They say, if you do this, this is what happens to you. When you enter the city, they say, welcome to Jerusalem. Look at our crosses. Don't do that. What a welcoming. How warming. Well, with that in mind, the cross is not a means of punishment. The cross is a means of humiliation. It's a humiliation. So if you know the story of, you know, when Jesus went to trial and he was determined that he was going to be crucified, you realize that Jesus received both a punishment and humiliation. The whipping, the lashing, the flogging, whatever you want to call it, he, 39 times, that was the punishment. That was his punishment. And, and, and Pilate, the Roman ruler at the time of Jerusalem, you know, taking care of everybody, the assistant manager of Caesar, you know, he thought that the, the Jewish people would be satisfied with just, you know, him being lashed and flogged and whipped. So he thought. But the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, they were not happy with it. They wanted to show people because it was going to be Passover. When people come, they wanted to see what happens when you proclaim yourself as the Messiah? Hey, that's what they wanted. And Pilate, he gave it to them. Now listen. Oh, wow, I passed it. <laughs> Paper. <sighs> now, let me, let me get something straight before you start. Cool. <laughs> The Jewish people and the Roman people did not take the life of Jesus. God took the life of Jesus because this was God's plan. Before you start saying, the Jewish people did it, the Romans did it. No, God did it. It was God's plan. And I don't have to tell you the last word, so you can wait for it. That proves that, okay? <laughs> now let's get started. Oh, wait, let me tell you this. Talking about the cross, you know, when we wear the cross, we... We, look, we signify that we're Christians, right? And it's amazing to see that the cross was used for humiliation, but God turns it around. He takes what is bad and turns it for good. 
Look at Genesis 50, 20, and this is Joseph speaking. You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is being done, that the saving of many people would be done. It's amazing to see that God can turn anything bad into good, into good, and use it for good. So now, ah, I went too fast. Now, open your Bibles. Let's go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. If you don't have the Bible on your phone, download it. It's free. It's free. You know, I'm pretty sure you're going to be in your house most of this vacation time. You know, read the Bible. Watch some Netflix and read the Bible. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Luke 23, and it's verse 35. And it's very important that you understand so that this story makes sense what the cross is for. Like I said, the cross is not a death penalty. All right? So Luke 23, 35. Here we go. The people stood watching. And the rulers over sneered at him. They said, they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. 36. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They'd offered him wine and vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which said, this is the king of the Jews. This is important right here. Here we go. 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Ha, 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 ha. I just added that. That's not in the scripture. Just for dramatic effect. All right. You know, we hear a lot about the second criminal, about the criminal who's intended to go to heaven, but we don't hear about this guy. We don't really hear about... This first criminal, we kind of just pass him. But listen, in order to catch the substance of the story, we have to pay attention to everything in the scripture. We have to pay attention to this first criminal and the crowd of people. See, the crowd of people, the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, and the rest of the people, they had, they had the right to mock Jesus. All right? I'm just, you know, calm down on your spiritualness. Let's get real. They had the right to mock Jesus. They, they can mock Jesus if they wanted to. But now this criminal mocks Jesus. What gives him the right to mock Jesus, though? I wonder how the people felt when he spoke. They were probably creeped out. <laughs> like, uh, what? I don't think they laughed or agreed with him. I think they were a little confused. <laughs> Listen. This guy was also on a cross. What gives him the right to mock somebody who's on the cross when he's on the cross? He's kind of like that guy that you know, <laughs> that he says something and you're like, what? Why would you say that? Why, do you, why did you say that? Don't you realize what's happening in your own life? And you go and you criticize and you mock people and you don't realize what's happening in your own life? Well, guess what? I'm taking intro to psychology this semester. And guess what else? This is the third time I take it. Oh. 
Not that I failed it. I've passed it every time because I took it in high school, I took it in Bible school, and now I'm taking it in community college. The best place to start and finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but something we learned in psychology is why people criticize other people and why people mock other people. The truth is that people do these things to deny the reality of themselves in an attempt to feel better. If that would make it, I'm trying to make sense to you because psychology is a little hard to understand. Some people will criticize others because they don't have something. Sometimes people throw their own insecurities on other people. Oh man. And listen, I've been that person. I'm just being real. I've been that person. I've been that person who throws their insecurities on other people, my own insecurities on other people. I've been that person who has criticized other Christians for having a better life than me. I've been that person who has mocked other people so that I can feel better. I have been that person. And don't lie in this place and say you've never been that person. Maybe you never said it out loud. Maybe you put it on Facebook. No, no. Maybe you didn't put it on Facebook, but you've thought that way. You've mocked other people when your own life is not right either. So let me try and make it real for you. How do you know if you've been that person? Well, in the story, we realize that Jesus never responds to him. We realize that Jesus never responds to the criminal, that he never speaks to him. Have you ever read Proverbs 23.9? It says, don't waste your breath on fools, for they will despise the wisest advice. Jesus you know, I, I've met people who have said, if God is God, why are bad things happening? If God is God, why are these things happening? Is he true? Is he real? I don't think so. They almost mock God. And guess what? God has no answer for them because God wastes no time for fools. Can't tell you how many times I've mocked and criticized other people because I was the one hurt. And then the next moments after that, I was crying to the Lord, Lord, speak to me. I've been a fool. And I know people who criticize and mock other Christians. And I ask them, oh, that's, are you reading your Bible and are you praying? You can guess what their answer is already. No. No. So let's check out what happens next. Verse 40. But the other criminal, the other criminal, okay, remember that because... I'm going to say he and he and he. Now we're talking about the other criminal. But the other criminal mocked him. No, rebuked him, sorry. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. You, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Finally, somebody tells this criminal who mocked Jesus the truth. Somebody told him the truth. When that man says, don't you fear God, he's not saying, hey, Jesus is God. He didn't believe him as God. He's not implying that Jesus is God. Actually, what he's saying is, are you stupid or something? Are you dumb or something? You're acting foolish, what you're doing. 
And we see how when he says, don't you realize that we are being crucified for the actions that we have done? Yet this man has done nothing wrong. They were both dying on a cross for the wrongful deeds that they have committed. Unlike the first criminal, though, the second criminal acknowledges his own position and his own condition. He knows that he has done something wrong, that he deserves what he's getting. And it's interesting to see that the criminal knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong. How would he know that? How would he know that? He wasn't one of his disciples. He wasn't, you know, uh, uh, written that he was there or anything. It wasn't documented. But I believe, <laughs> I believe, I believe that within the span of Jesus' three years of ministry, he must have seen something that Jesus did or Jesus said that impacted his life. Now, not that he changed or that he turned around from his criminal ways, but that something was different about this Jesus. Something was different about this rabbi because all the other rabbis, all the other Jewish leaders, all the others, they deny people and they condemn the sick and they curse the wicked. Yet, this Jesus, this rabbi brings the sick. No, he goes to the sick. He heals the sick. And he brings the sinners to follow him. What interesting this Jesus is. And also the Jewish leaders, they would use their position to demand so much. Yet this Jesus goes to people, eats with sinners, dances with people. I bet you didn't know that, huh? Yes, he danced with children, not the Jewish leaders. He danced with people. He celebrated. He rejoiced with them. This is a different rabbi. This is a different leader. This guy's different. He acknowledges his own condition and in what position he is. Yet he decides to speak to Jesus in the next part. Like if he's worthy of it. Verse 42. Then he said, the criminal, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This portion of scripture is so important, yet so confusing. Really. First of all, first of all, first of all, he says the name of Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, Jesus, not sir, not rabbi, not master, not even Lord. He says, Jesus. He called him by name, Jesus. This is the first most important thing to understand. And before I tell you why, let me go to the second most important thing, all right? Second, he's asking Jesus to remember him. He's asking Jesus to remember him, not to take him to heaven. That's not what he's asking. This is like when you see old high school friends, right? Like you're at Target or Walmart, and you see your high school friends, and then you, know, you connect, and then they say, hey, let's, let's hang out, man. Hey, hit me up on Facebook. Oh, they probably don't say that. They say that to me. You know? But they say, uh, let me find you on Facebook. <laughs> let's get together. Let's have lunch. Let's have coffee. And then you're like, oh, OK. And don't lie. Do you text them? No. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's okay. It's okay. I do the same thing. I, I feel bad, but, but you forget, you know? And this is the same thing. Hey, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Remember this moment when we were close. Remember me, Jesus, when I was on the cross and you were on the cross. Remember me. Remember our interaction. Remember us. The third most important thing about this scripture is the actual translation of kingdom. Kingdom. I know we thought, we, we think that kingdom is an actual location kingdom. When you come into your kingdom, that Jesus, when you come into heaven, we, we like to think that that's what he's talking about. But not necessarily. It was, let me ask you. What was Jesus' main message when he was preaching and teaching? Do you know? Probably not. It's fine. <laughs> it wasn't five ways to fix your life. We know that. It wasn't how to get people to follow you. It wasn't even evangelism. And most definitely, it was not everything that's wrong with everybody. That was not Jesus' message to anybody. His message was to establish the kingdom of God on earth. It was about kingdom. It was about kingdom. It was about kingdom before everything. Kingdom over everything. That was Jesus' message. He came to establish a new rule on earth in this world of darkness. He came to start the kingdom of God on this earth. This is important because kingdom in this scripture, the Greek word is basileia. Huh? Yes. Basilea. I hope I pronounced it right, but I'm trying my best. Basilea. And it doesn't mean an actual location. It means kingship, royal power, dominion. It is not to be confused with an actual kingdom, but rather the right authority to rule. This is important because he is asking Jesus to remember him later when Jesus comes and rules the earth. He's saying, when you come with your kingship, when you come and rule this earth, remember me. Remember this day. The criminal didn't ask for salvation, but just to be remembered. The best thing about this is that the criminal was not even expecting a response. He's not expecting a confirmation text, you know, the emoji. He's not expecting a response. He's just throwing it out there. Have you ever just thrown things out there? And you say, I'm just throwing it out there. You don't have to answer. You don't have to do anything. Um, I'm leaving, all right? <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. When you throw out things, he's just throwing it out there. But Jesus responds. Jesus responds, and it's more than he expected. It was more than he wanted. Verse 43, this is the big stuff right here. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Hallelujah. This is more than he expected. Have you ever been in that situation where you ask somebody something and they give you more than you expected? Like you say, hey, are you hungry? Yeah, let's go eat. I'll pay for you. <gasps> That's more than I expected. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's give a, a, a scenario. Maybe you walk into your boss's office and you ask for a raise. And he tells you, I'm not going to give you a raise. 
I'm going to promote you. Woohoo! Yeah! That's more than you expected. That's a miracle for you, if anybody has ever done that. <laughs> Here's a good one. Like when you were nervous about a performance or a, a, a presentation that you had to do, and you feel like you did horrible. Then somebody comes and they tell you, you did amazing. I, I understood everything you said. Ha, huh, that's more than I expected. I like that. Thank you. Now let me give you a story in my own life where this happened. When my wife and I were dating Bible school, <laughs> yes, we used to date. Now we're married. Hallelujah. Amen. One year married. Yeah, I made it. Woo. And the married men were like, ah. <laughs> so we, when we were dating in Bible school, we chose to do a summer internship at the school. It was during the summer, okay? Understand when I say summer in San Antonio, I'm talking about humid, hot summer, all right? It was hard work, and I lost a lot of weight. Then I gained it back. <laughs> now, if you've ever done an internship, in ministry, as a medical professional, as a counselor, as anything, you, you've probably done internships, and you understand that internships, the internship comes before your personal life, okay? Maybe some of us have never done an internship. Maybe we have, and we understand this. The internship comes before your personal life. So in this case, our internship at the school, the internship came first, and then personal life. So... Um, we weren't really allowed to talk to each other, me and my wife, me and my girlfriend at the time. We weren't really allowed to talk to each other because it was not part of the internship. We had to do work, and that's fine, okay? We're not, I don't want you to be like, oh my God, the school did that. No, no, no. It's just an internship. It was just an internship. So we couldn't talk to each other. We couldn't be alone together. I mean, we could talk to each other, but it had to be like, hi and bye, and that's it, okay? It's very important to understand this. So it was during the internship that I told my wife that I loved her. Oh, how cute! This is where I realized that I'm in love with this, this girl right here. I'm in love with her. And I wanted to tell her. I wanted to tell her. Oh. So, you know... I developed a plan, a scheme, how to tell her. Because we couldn't really talk to each other. Because we couldn't get alone together. We had to be working and then say bye and hi. So I thought, OK, when I say bye, I'm going to say, OK, bye. I love you, like really fast, so that she doesn't hear it. Well, that she would hear it and then turn around and be like, what did he say? Oh my god. Right? I, was, I thought it was slick. <laughs> so the moment came in my plan. I did it the way I planned it. I was like, okay, bye, I love you, like that. And guess what? <gasps> she didn't hear me. <laughs> I thought she didn't hear me. She didn't hear me. She just said bye and left. So, you know, I was like, well, I guess my plan worked, right? I didn't want her to hear me. But then I started thinking, and I started overthinking. And I was like, wait, what if she did hear me? And I scared her. I scared her away. What if she's thinking already that we're moving too fast, that she does, she's not in the right place, 
that, that God hasn't told her to love me. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so I was freaking out. So later that night, that same day that I told her, um, we, had, we, we had a group gathering, you know, all the interns, we all gathered. And so uh, I was nervous going because I'm going to see her. And I already know she's probably going to ignore me or run away from me, you know, avoid me. But then I walk in, and she's like, come here. <gasps> she pulled me aside. She made me break the rules. <laughs> she pulled me aside. She looked me straight in the eye, straight in the eye. I was freaking out. She said, did you mean what you said? <gasps> I was shook. Oh, man, I was scared. I started praying. Just like, no, I didn't start praying. And I was like, the... <sighs> And the first thought, because I don't think, I, I act sometimes before I think. And I said, what are you talking about? Oh. Oh, no. Oh. And she said, you know what I'm talking about. Uh. <laughs> and so, you know, I was thinking that she was going to tell me, I heard you, but you know what? We're just not in, the, in that place right now. You know what? I can't do this anymore. You know what? Uh, we're moving too fast. You know, the whole heartbreak thing. So I thought, and so I, I risked it for the biscuit, and I said, yes, I love you. Bien macho, I said it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> said it. And then she looked at me, and she said, I love you too. And I think I loved you even before you loved me. Oh! Oh! Oh my gosh. That was more than I expected. And let me tell I was shook. I was amazed. I was speechless, speechless. I didn't even know what to do after that. And so again, I thought, I said something before I thought about it, and I said, okay. That was dumb. And then she said, do you still love me? Yes, I love you. And, you know, that's where I told her that I love her. And it was more than I expected. Her answer was more than I expected, and it amazed me. I felt good. I said, oh, I found somebody who loves me. Oh, my God. I don't know why, but she loved me. And now we're married one year. Hallelujah. This is the same thing as this criminal. Jesus responds to him more than he expected, more than he was expecting he just wanted Jesus to remember him. But what does Jesus tell him? Today you will be with me in paradise. Number one, remember. Remember that he called the name of Jesus, right? The reason that's so important is because the author emphasizes that Jesus Christ himself responded to his name. He responds when you call on his name. And I love that text because it says Jesus answered him. Jesus answered him. Did he do this for the first criminal? No. He doesn't do it for fools. He doesn't do it for people who ignore their own life and mock other people. No. He answers those who call on his name. Again, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on the name of Jesus and he will respond. Call to Jesus and he will answer. The first part of Jesus' answer is, I tell you the truth. In the Old Testament, 
Every time God spoke, they wrote, thus says the Lord, right? And the prophets wanted to let people know that this is God's thoughts. This is what God has said. Thus says the Lord, right? We've read the Old Testament, right? <laughs> but now in this case, every time Jesus doesn't say, thus says the Lord. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. These are the words out of God's mouth. When Jesus speaks, it is God's words speaking. I tell you the truth. I tell you today. I tell you the truth. And when he says something, it's going to happen. I tell you the truth. I love that. When God speaks of something that is coming, it's going to happen. When God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. This only confirms that the words that Jesus spoke were straight out of the mouth of God. And the word of God is alive, is alive. It breathes. It's third thing, he said today, today. He didn't say tomorrow. He didn't say later how the, the criminal was expecting for Jesus to remember him later. No, he cuts that. And Jesus says, today, today. He said, today, this is the moment I say to you. Our God is never late. Our God is never too early. God is always on time. He is always on time. Romans 5, 6 says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Just the right time. The best part right here, number four, you will be with me in paradise. This part is always taken so lightly, and people don't really understand what he's talking about. This is the part right here. This part is always confusing to people. Although Jesus is implying heaven, paradise and heaven are not the same thing. <gasps> no, paradise and heaven are not the same thing. Rather, the translation for paradise means rest, it means delight, it means comfort, it means breathing room. So, where do we get the implication that Jesus is talking about heaven? Well, let me ask you, what is heaven without Jesus there? What is heaven without God there? What is heaven if God is not there? Paradise and heaven are not the same destination. Rather, wherever Jesus is, there is heaven. And it feels like paradise. It's rest for the weak. And it's amazing wherever Jesus is. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our delight. Jesus is our paradise. Jesus is our life. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our hope. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. It's better to call upon the name of the Lord than to continue living like a fool. It's better to come before the Lord and be absolutely transparent than to continue criticizing other Christians or other people. When you live like a fool, you live your life in criticism, you criticize others, you mock others, you even skepticize God. You skepticize God. But stop living like a fool because Jesus has no time for fools. He has no words for fools. He already knows where your heart is. I don't have to tell you. 
And his silence is actually a calling. It's a calling to him. But when we acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a Savior and call on the name of Jesus, he will answer. He is our ever-present help in times of need. If you can stand with me. I'd like to reassure you that this man did nothing to earn his, the grace of God. He did nothing. We are saved by grace through faith. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we are saved by grace through faith. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. There's no means of religious works that can earn you your salvation. Not even if you serve in your church or you give money to the church, that doesn't earn you salvation. It's only by grace. Only by grace. And here's something we don't even know. This is something we don't understand sometimes. Change does not come before salvation. Salvation comes and that's what changes people. Salvation. So let me give you a testimony of myself. When I got saved, I wasn't the best person in the world. I got saved December 31st, 2013, I remember the day, and I was not the best person. I was not. I didn't say, I'm going to give up drinking, I'm going to give up smoking, I'm going to give up all these things, and then I'm going to get saved. No, I said, I'm going to get saved, and I'm going to depend on Jesus to change my life. When you walk with Jesus, that's when change happens. It's called sanctification. Change happens when we deny people their salvation because they haven't changed that is wrong it's wrong Jesus met this criminal right where he was at he was on the cross with him he was there with him and we tell people well you need to stop drinking then you can come to church no no you've just taking away their opportunity to be in paradise. If you still drink, if you still smoke, if you do pornography, if you do all these sins, you can still come to church. You can still come to church. You're not too far from the grace of God. He's not intimidated by sin. It does not intimidate him. He is powerful. And he is sufficient and his grace is more than sufficient to save our lives. Because salvation is not a work of man. Salvation is in God alone. Only God. We must acknowledge that we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And we must believe that that Savior is Jesus Christ. And what follows after that is confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord, is the Lord over my life, is the Lord over the earth. And with that, when we do these things, paradise, it's paradise. His presence is the paradise. I'd like to assure you that Jesus Christ is here this morning. He is here now. Heaven is here. Heaven is here. Paradise is here. Rest is here. Your forgiveness is here now. His mercy is here. Heaven is here.
Jesus Christ is here.